You know, uh, it's just amazing. I was reading uh, Hosea and God instructing Hosea to go marry a, a woman of ill repute. <clears throat> so he did. And apparently she ran out on him after having several kids and played the adulteress, got uh, in bondage somewhere, and God instructed him to go redeem her. So he did. He went and paid the price and bought her back and brought her back home. And you wonder why God instructs us to do certain things. A lot of things God instructs us to do don't make any sense at all. Most, a lot of the time, it looks like the opposite of what we should do. But Hosea, I'm sure, didn't understand when God told him to go get her. Why? He probably didn't understand her when he said, go get a woman of ill repute. <laughs> you know? uh, so, but God instructs us to do, and if we obey... Uh, by and by, we'll see what, what his purpose was in that. But it's just amazing how God will do that uh, for us, to uh, test our faith, whatever. But, you know, uh, back in the, in the early church, uh, the churches in the early days were comprised of, of uh, both Jews and Gentiles. They were both in there. These early churches, they had Jews and Gentiles, and it, the church was a brand new thing. Nobody knew. I mean, there was no manual or anything like that or, or, you know, precedent that they could follow. This was all new going on. And you had these Jews. You had these Gentiles from two polar opposite uh, where they came from. And they're all of a sudden in the same family. And, you know, that looks like a recipe for trouble, (laughs) you know, because Jews weren't even allowed to associate with the Gentiles. But now they're in the same family. So, you know. Uh, we got some trouble coming up here, and I'd like to look at that tonight in the book of Romans in chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. About some of these problems that were occurring in the early church. In verse 1 it says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despiseth him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand." One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die... We die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. The church in Rome was comprised of both Jews and Gentiles, and they're having these problems. The Jews, coming from their origins and of the law, uh, they were trying to impose in the church a dietary restriction, uh, certain things, and, and the Gentiles, who didn't know anything about that, we're like just doing what they wanted, eating what they wanted. 
And some problems were coming up in the early church, and this is what Paul is dealing with. <clears throat> Tensions existed because of these differences. There were fallings out. There were disagreements. There were separations. They occurred because of these differences. These tensions threatened the unity of the church. So Paul intervened. He came in with the book of Romans. Now, these problems that were occurring in early church were occurring because of the very same problems <clears throat> that we have today. <laughs> we could have existing sin in our lives. We could have pride issues. <clears throat> uh, we can be intolerant. We can lack understanding. And this is where problems come in the church. Now, Paul is, is admonishing the Romans here to not fall prey to these things, these, these vices or these, these shortcomings in, in your spiritual makeup. But he's saying to be taught to, to one believeth that he may eat, and another who is weak eateth herbs. All right? So the Jews would not eat, but the Gentiles had no reservations about it. Uh, the, the Jews observed certain days, but the Gentiles happily ignored those days. Now, these are de dealing with things that are different. These, the food and the holidays, these are not essential doctrinal things. They're just things that are different. They're of inconsequence in the spiritual realm. Now, what we really, really need to understand, and, and what I really want to make very clear, is this is not dealing with doctrine or things commanded in Scripture or things. That's not what this is talking about. It, we're talking about things of inconsequence, things that really, you know, like uh, what would be a current event kind of thing that would, would, might cause problems in a church. I've heard people talk about this subject one way or another. To me, it makes no difference. Christmas. You shouldn't celebrate Christmas. It's a pagan holiday, this and that. That's something of inconsequence. That's right. To me, it's just inconsequential. It doesn't mean a thing to me. I, we put a tree up, we give presents, this and that, but it has nothing to do with the Bible, my relationship with God. Or it's just a, a day we give presents to each other. <laughs> All right, and, but I understand that the other side that it did come from a pagan holiday. And so, but you know what? The people over here that see it as a pagan holiday and don't celebrate this and that, that's fine. You do that. But don't judge the people who do do the Christmas. And the people who do do the Christmas, don't look at those people there and say, you guys are weak. Don't do this. <laughs> it's something of inconsequence. So that's what, that's what Paul is dealing with. But, you know, things that are doctrinal or biblical that God says to avoid or eschew or say, that's not what we're talking about here. We do need to do those things and stand for those things and stand with those things for the purity of the church. So things that are different are non-essential. Uh, this calls, this calls for a mutual respect of one another in the church in a Christian spirit. In verse 1, it says, uh, Him that is weak in faith, receive ye. Receive them. God doesn't want us rejecting people that are weak in faith. That's right. We're not to do that. We are to receive them. Uh, there could be, you know, there, there could be some difficulties in, like, you know, like the difficulties here with food and holidays, but you don't reject them. You receive those people. Uh, in verse 3, it says, uh, Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. 
We're not to despise another brother because they don't do it as we do it. Of these things of inconsequence. Uh, in verse 4, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? We are not to judge our brother over these things. Don't, don't judge him over it. <clears throat> in verse 5, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. God is t- telling us here that we have a liberty of conscience. God has given us a liberty of conscience in these areas of things of inconsequence. We have a liberty. It let, let your conscience guide you. If it bothers you, if it bothers you to drink coffee, then don't drink coffee. But don't judge somebody else who does because they have a liberty of conscience. I can drink coffee. It's legal. I can buy it at the grocery store. I I can drink it. Yeah, I know it's got caffeine. Caffeine's a drug at your body's the temple. Yeah, I understand all that. But it's, look, you can go down a long trail with that. You understand that? So don't judge your brother. In verse, liberty of conscience, verse 5. Verse 6. Uh, it says, he that regardeth one day regardeth it unto the Lord. It's unto the Lord. Do what you do as unto the Lord. Don't do it for because you're fitting in. And the, the big th- thing here, you know, if you go to Liberty Faith, you got to wear a dress. You know, this, don't come here wearing a dress because that's what you got to do at Liberty Faith. By the way, you don't. But it, it's don't do that. You do it. Why? As unto the Lord. That's why you do it. Now you look into that, but it's it's you look into that, but do it as unto the Lord. Verse seven and eight. None of us living lives unto himself. No man dieth himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, or whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the, the Lord's. We we belong equally to the Lord. We're all the Lord's. We need a unity in the church body. And we're being given direction right here how to go about that. Now, these are big issues. I mean, this, this is a big deal. There can be some pretty church splits over this stuff. Right. You know, what's the issue with the tissue? I mean, toilet paper, that's something of inconsequence. <laughs> that, I mean, just don't get involved in that. Amen. You know, when, when we look across at somebody in our church body, that person is our brother, and that person is the Lord's. And we should treat them accordingly. And as Joel said uh, this morning, we won't go running around with a sword tongue in the church doing that, uh, talking about them. Now, this is a wise pastoral treatment of this issue right here. And it's an it's a, it's a extremely needed passage of Scripture. This is over things that are not forbidden in God's word or enjoyed in God's word, but are things over opinion. Many times it's over things people bring with them from their past. A lot of these issues are people, because this, it's amazing the revolving door of this church. I shouldn't say that. It's, it sounds bad, but, you know, my wife and I were talking the other day, because we, we moved down here in 97, so that was over 25 years ago, and we were just talking about all the families that are here, that were here before we got here. There's not many. There's, you know, there's quite a few, I guess, but it's amazing how many people have come and gone over the 25 years that I've been here. It's amazing that how many people have come and gone, most likely because of this stuff right here. Uh, either unwillingness on, on one person's part to, to do this, to live this way, or they got offended because somebody else offended them because they didn't do it the way this teaches. So this is an extremely important uh, passage of Scripture for us as a church body. Uh, 
So it, if, 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 what I was getting to is the peop, new people that come in here, oh, that can be a, a, a pro, not a problem, but it, there could be things that you bring in from your past, from another church, or maybe how you grew up and you come here. And if you try to implement in that, this church, that could create a problem. So you want to watch that. Watch that temptation uh, to try to change the church. So uh, watch out for that. Uh, if that's the way you want to live, live that way. But don't impose on other people to change or live like you. Uh, if the Bible says it or teaches it, then we do it. But if it's not in the Bible, uh, watch out. <laughs> now, now this is the good part. This is where I wanted to get to. That last sentence in the last verse, actually it's the last part of the last sentence, it says something. It says, we are the Lord's. And you read that, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the thing that binds this all together. That's what makes this workable. We are the Lord's. Now, take this even to a personal level. I am the Lord's. We are the Lord's. You are the Lord's. And I want to kind of zone in on that and really, really look at this. We are of the same family. Uh, in Philippians 127, it says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's unity. God wants us to work as one body, one mind, bound together, moving as one unit. That's how God wants us to work as a church. We are the Lord's. Who are these people that are the Lord's? Let's take a look at it. Because not everybody is the Lord's. Not everybody that comes through those doors is the Lord's. Who are these people who are the Lord's? Well, I'm just going to go through a few things here. The first thing I want to bring up is they're, they're chosen by God. God chose them. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2.13... 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks all the way to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. God chose you. God chose me. All I was, all you were before God got you was a slave. You were a slave bound to sin. You were, you were not God's. You belonged to the devil before God got you. You were bound to the devil. You were bound to guilt, and you were bound to condemnation. That's what you and I were before God got us, before God pursued us and got us. That's who we were, just slaves. We were bound and in chains. Of no, and by the way, this is of no merit of our own that God chose us. It has nothing, your salvation has nothing to do with you or me. It's nothing, you, you, you didn't live right, God didn't feel sorry for you because... You grew up in a bad home, or that it has nothing to do with that. Right. You were just a sinner who deserved hell. And that's it. But God came and gave you grace, enabled you he, to see with blind eyes. He took the blind eyes away. He gave you grace that unstopped the deaf ears. Amen. He gave you the grace to be able to see Him, to see your guilt, to see His salvation through his son and his shed blood. God did all this. This wasn't your intellect. It wasn't because you sat down and thought about it. God did all of this. And you were saved. And now you are the Lord's. So who are these people? People who God chose. God God saved you. 
And the next thing I'd like to point out is that these are people who are redeemed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23, these people are redeemed. For ye are bought with a price. Be not ye servants of men. You were bought with a price. God redeemed you. Now, who could deliver the one who's in bondage? Who could break these chains that bound you? Only the blood of Christ. There was a blood ransom paid, and it's free. It doesn't cost you a dime. You don't have a debt hanging over your head to pay this back. It's paid. It's done. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, it says, But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. You're God's because you've been redeemed. Redemption. You know, going back to the story of, of, of Hosea and Gomer, do you know why God had him do that? To do this, right? For this, for this truth right here. You know, Hosea married a, a woman he, he should not have married by all rights. She was not marryable. But yet he, he married her. And in that, she turned around and played the whore and ran out. Got, got bound up in sin and, and in slavery. And then he went back and redeemed her and brought her back to himself. That's the whole reason God had him do that. So we can stand here tonight and understand this truth. Yeah. It's all an illustration. It's a foreshadow. God, now we can understand it through a story, what God's done for us. We are the Lord's. Amen. We have a... It, <laughs> this is amazing when you we think about it. That we're, God, we're twice, twice bought by God. We're, number one, He made us. Right. And that, that makes us His property right out of the bat. But we, from the day we were born, went off in sin and rejected God and played the whore on Him. That's right. The adulteress. And yet he came and redeemed us, paid the price to get us back. Amen. He paid twice for us. Yeah. And we're his. We are the Lord's. Amen. Now, that, that, you know what the result of that ought to be? I said earlier that, that, you know, that salvation is, the, the redemption price is the blood, and it's free. We don't owe him anything. Amen. We don't owe him anything. We couldn't pay it if we did. Right. But you know the effect it has to know what he did through that redemption when we played the adulteress intentionally by choice, knowing what we were doing, got bound up in sin, heading for hell, and he came and bought us back. The effect of that ought to be devotion to God. Devotion to God. It's not a debt to be paid back. It's just what we ought to do because of what he did for us. It's, it's, it's amazing. The story is amazing. Behold the manner of God's love. His redeeming love. Now, who, here's a list of all those who were, some, some of those who were redeemed. Abraham was redeemed. Ruth was redeemed. Rahab, who was not a good woman, was redeemed and, and brought into the family of God. The woman at the well was not a good woman, but she was redeemed. Amen. Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree was redeemed. Saul of Tarsus Amen. was redeemed. That wicked enemy of Jesus Christ was redeemed. And you know that your, I think somebody said that sometime this morning, that your salvation is no more, less remarkable than Saul's. All of us, all of us 
it's a miracle that we've been redeemed. So you can say that I belong to Jesus. Another characteristic of this, these people are they're adopted. Ephesians 1, 5 says, having, prede- uh, no, that's not it. Is it? Yeah, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself according to the goodwill. That must not be it. I must have a different. Did we just read that one? We're adopted. Okay, well, is it seven? In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In whom we have redemption. Well, that's redemption. I'm talking about adopted. Anyway, I guess I got the wrong one there. How about Romans 8.15? Romans 8.15. For ye have received the spirit of bondage, not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We have been adopted. Now, this is one of the most amazing ideas or or something that can can fill my head and just overwhelm me is the fact that God adopted me. God adopted me. I'm part of his family. He's my father. God is my father. I don't stand outside the court waiting for permission to enter. I just fly up on the porch, throw the front door open and run in. And he tells me to go back and shut the door where I live in a barn. I got to run back, shut the door. I don't live in a barn. I go running through the house, you know. I'm his son. Amen. I don't, I, I, that's the relationship. He's my father. God is my father. And he adopted me into his family. I wasn't born in there. He adopted me. It's an amazing, the concept, it blows my mind. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Not only did he adopt me, but he, he put his nature in me. And it, it, I got a brand new mind. And I don't think, I think Brother Danny preached on that this morning. It, things change. What used to be isn't there anymore. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He adopted me and, and gave me his, his family characteristics. Not in perfection yet, but it's, it's on the way. <laughs> but we can go on in prayer. We can go directly to him and talk to him. I'm his child, and he's my father. And that's, if there's one thing, I mean, if you go to bed tonight, if you think about it, make this your last thought before you doze off to sleep. God is my father, and I'm his child. That's profound. I can't even grasp that. I can, go, I can go directly to him and talk to him anytime. He know, I can tell him things that I wouldn't tell anybody else. And he knows everything about me. Everything. He knows every sin and failure. And he still talks to me because of Christ's blood. When he looks at me, he sees Christ. That's how that takes place. But he's my father. He's my father. He's your father. Another, the next one would be that we're set apart. These people who are, they're God's people, they're set apart. They're sanctified. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. He sets you apart. Sanctification, you know, I, sanctification just has a bad name. A lot of people call sanctification. Miss 
characterize sanctification as, and they call it legalism. That, I, I've always had a problem with that. That's just not true. That's, that's malicious. Amen. That's malicious. Right. To call a desire to obey God legalism, that's malicious. I, I, it just, it's just bad. That person has a problem when they call somebody who just wants to obey God a legalist. That's just not right. Because sanctification is not a chain to be dragged around. Something we got to do. It's a privilege to be set apart, to be different from the world or, or even worldly Christians. It's a privilege to be that, to, to have the opportunity to do that. And it's difficult at times. It's very difficult, especially in today's world. The way things are set up, it's not easy to be sanctified. And I'm talking about in practical ways. Just, you know, how to, it's just amazing. In Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Blessed is the man that not, walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. That's a sanctified action right there. You are purposefully staying out of the counsel of the ungodly. So you young girls who aren't married yet, and you, you're, you, you want to be married someday, and some guy walks by, gets your attention or something like that, or you just want to get attention and, and you're wondering if, if he's the one or, you know, and he's not saved or whatever, and somebody at work, you tell them, you know, what's going on, and they say, well, dear, you just need to follow your heart. That's the counsel of the ungodly. The Bible explicitly says, don't follow your heart. If you do, you're a fool. Your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. You do not Follow your heart. Amen. You follow God's word, Amen. who says, Be ye not unequally yoked. You don't marry a lost person. Amen. That's the counsel of the ungodly. Follow your heart. And you hear it everywhere. Right. I heard it everywhere when I was 15, 16. Follow your heart. It's the worst thing you can do. Amen. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You're blessed when you do that. When you, when you determine to obey God, which is sanctification, live according to His ways, set apart, then you won't follow the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners. You're not going to go to the places they go to. You're not going to hang out at the places ungodly people hang out at. You're not going to walk in the way. <laughs> I'm talking through my knee. <laughs> Could you still hear me or no? I can hear myself. <laughs> it's been aching lately. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. How long was it off? About an hour. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe it's probably good you didn't hear what I've been saying. I don't know. Let's <laughs> start again. <laughs> Danny, that's going to get you in trouble. <laughs> Let's not have a church split over that. <laughs> Why? Because we're the Lord's. Don't, don't, stand, don't stand in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Don't, don't sit with the scornful people. Uh, they're just spreading, like Joel's message this morning, just causing trouble. Don't even get near them. Be sanctified, be separate. 
determined that you're going to live for the Lord and be the Lord's. Everything that goes into your ears, you're going to you're going to you're going to make sure that it's only what's going to edify you, glorify God, just just help you. Everything that you see with your eyes, the same thing. And uh, <clears throat> the fifth thing I'd like to point out is, is glorified. In verses 7 and 8 of Romans 14, it says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Glorified. In the end, God's going to glorify us. He's going to take us to heaven. We're going to get a new body. We're going to be just like Christ. We're going to be glorified in Christ. And this is, the, this is who these people are. Who, who are the Lord's? The people that are going, they're going to be glorified. There's hope in death for the saved person. Amen. There's hope in death. Proverbs 14, 32. The wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in his death. We can, we can go towards death. I think Danny said it this morning. Uh, that, that uh, Somebody did. Maybe I heard it somewhere else. That the, uh, God gives dying our grace in your dying hour. You don't have it now. So, uh, but there, when that hour comes, you will, there will be hope in death. Amen. There will be hope in death. Uh, it's the culmination of all these things, the sanctification and all these things. It's the culminate, the glorification in death. Uh, death does not and it cannot separate us from the Lord. What does it mean to die in the Lord? <clears throat> it says it right there in, in that, that verse there. Uh, we die unto the Lord. What does it mean to die unto the Lord in verse 9? Uh, well, I'd like, to, I'd like to tell you an example that I saw. I'm a witness to it. It was my father. When my father got cancer, my father was saved. Uh, he got cancer. And for, he had it for almost three years before he passed away. And uh, I talked quite a bit with my dad and, and spent a good amount of time with him, actually, over those years. I, I got to go home twice in the, over the summer for several months. And... Uh, but what I can tell you in my father is that he was completely resigned to God's will. <clears throat> and I don't mean in a fake way, you know, a psychological flip-flop or something to you know, avoid fear or whatever. He really, he, he just accepted it. It was God's <clears throat> time. It was in God's hands. He knew it was going to happen. The, the cancer he had was not curable. It was not something, when you get it, it's, it you're going to die from it within about a three-year period. So he knew that, and he went out and had a talk in the, in the woods, uh, on the backside of his farm there, uh, and came back and was, from that day forward, Man. never had any fear, never saw it at all in him. None at all. But there's glor- there's, they will, we will be glorified in death. And what, what that did for me, to see my dad go through that, that preached a sermon that, that I could never get at a church anywhere. Just my dad doing that. Peace facing death, knowing he's going, he's going to die. Leave my mom behind. and uh, it, it, that's, that's a hard, th- I can't imagine. I've never been there. That's got to be a hard thing. But he had complete peace and reser- uh, resignation to it. That this was God's, in God's hands. It was God's will and, and this is how it's going to happen. But do you realize that that's our last service to the Lord? Is Death. Dying unto the Lord is your last, the last thing that you will do in your service to God. Dying unto the Lord. And it'll be, this, it'll be a message that'll be more powerful than, than just about anything that could be seen. 
is to, for uh, somebody to look at somebody who's dying, facing death, and they're completely accepting of it and waiting. Uh, not necessarily eager, you know what I'm saying? I mean, but, but just it's, it's God's will, it's God's purpose, and it's God. And I'm going home. So glorified. So we are the Lord's. And these are just some thoughts out of this, this passage of, of this chapter 14 in Romans. But I'd like to say the last thing here, uh, one, one more thing to address. Is, and this is from my own personal experience in my, in my Christian walk. Because <clears throat> I'm very, my kids, they, they all laugh at me because I'm, I'm a very vocal person. I mean, they know everything. And they got to sit for hours of lectures and, and me just teaching them through things that I've done. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> it's... <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's bad. I, but but I, I don't know. I just feel the need to do it. But anyway, uh, I'll tell you one story. Uh, Elise, our oldest daughter, I remember she did something. And it was probably after church. So we were home. We got home after church. And she did something happen. Where, and she was about 15. And she needed to be talked to. So we stood. She stood. We stood in the kitchen. Uh, and she got a lecture. And it was about 9 o'clock at night when this started. And, and she, you know, we, we, you know, we got done at midnight. So and we stood there. We didn't move. We just stood for three hours while she got a lecture. So anyway, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I know. So this is one more thing. This is just I want to I want to kind of I want to put this in there because I know this by experience, and and I just want to I want to if it makes me look weak or bad or what I I don't care. If it can help you, Amen. I want to tell you about it. This is one more thing I want to put in here. We are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. And if I understood this better, you know, 20 years ago when it started, it, it would have helped me. But we are the Lord's. We are the Lord's in tribulation, in hunger, in pain, in sorrow. When you're in those things, you are the Lord's. The devil doesn't have control in your life at those times. If you're going through those things, you are the Lord's, and he has brought those into your life for some reason. And you don't have to know why. Job never knew until the end. But if I understood this better back when, when I, when, when I, because what happened, what, I'll just tell you the result of this. And let me say, Philippians 4.12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. God wants us to be able to, whether in riches or poverty, whether being full or hungry, whether in tribulation or in great peace, Either way, any way, God wants us to be to know we're the Lord's and to be steady. Amen. To not let it throw us off. Yeah. Job thirteen five. Or thirteen fifteen, I'm sorry. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet yet will I trust in him. That's what Job declared in the midst of his suffering. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. 2 Corinthians 1.4 Who comforted us, comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. The reason you could be going through what you're going through 
and why it's so difficult, why the, the valley is so dark, why the load is heavier than you can bear, could be for this right here. So that you can turn around. So what you're going to do is you're going to as, as, you're going to dig a well in these times, right. and you're going to find something in Scripture right. that you can drink from and find that relief, Amen. find that refreshing, find that strength. And when you do that, you can turn around and cross paths with somebody going through something similar, and you can comfort them with the comfort that God gave you or taught you during your tribulation or sorrow or whatever it is. But if you can just under, because the devil, I'm telling you, the devil will come along and tell you, God, God let you go. You've done something and God's just pulled back. He'll lie to you in any way, any angle he can get to get you to think that anything but I am the Lord's. Right. He'll get you to think of anything. Well, there's something. God's, you know, not being fair or God's playing favorites or God's whatever. Instead of I am the Lord's. Amen. Watch out for discouragement. Watch out for discouragement. I've heard it said discouragement is not a sin. It's just a sin if you stay in it. And, and that's got its truths. But I'm telling you, discouragement is a dangerous, dangerous ground to stand on. It is dangerous. Because if, you're, if you stay on that ground, if you stay in discouragement, it eventually will open up every door to any sin that can possibly Amen. enter your life. Right. It's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. If you find yourself in discouragement, like Pastor preached, did dig a well. But pursue God. I, I don't. I don't have any. I just don't stay there, Amen. because number one, you are the Lord's, Amen. and you shouldn't be discouraged. That's right. And I'm not saying that, but you know that that like some kind of off the cuff. I know it's easy to say, but it's hard to do. I've been through this. I understand what it's about, and I, don't, I certainly don't. I, I'm no master of it. But I, I'm just trying to, I, I'd like to warn you to avoid in times of darkness or tribulation, sorrow, those, those valley times. I just think that this understanding that you are the Lord's is one of the best things that you could possibly cling to when you're going through that time. You're God's. He chose you. He, he redeemed you with his blood. He's sanctifying you. you. You can just run right into his presence and talk to him. You can ask him for things and he'll hear you. That he doesn't see any, he doesn't see any sin in me. Amen. All he sees is Christ. Amen. By no work of my own. He did that. Yeah. He's enabled. You are God's. Don't stay discouraged. Don't listen to the devil. Make no place for the devil. That's the worst. My kids have heard this over and over. Never clean off a place next to you on the bench for the devil. Don't ever do that. Keep it filled up with something so he can't sit down. Amen. Pile it up with scripture. <laughs> Hymns and songs and spiritual songs. Keep it all full so he can't sit down next to you. But look out for discouragement in times of sorrow and darkness. Because... You're the Lord's. That's all I got. Amen. Uh, Van, I'll turn it over to you.